All right, so we are going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 14 today. Uh, we're going to focus on verses 13 uh, through 21, but at the end of our time together, I will reference uh, 23, 22 through 24. Uh, but you guys can turn there uh, in your Bibles. Uh, we read from a version called the uh, ESV. And so in verse 13, it says this. Uh, now, when Jesus heard this, and this is that his buddy, relative, and friend, and co-laborer in ministry, John the Baptist, was just beheaded, uh, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. He heard some tough news, and he wanted some alone time. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot uh, from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had frustration on them. Nope. He had compassion on them. He healed their sick. And now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away uh, to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. Uh, and he said to them, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. God, I pray for this time. Lord, it is um, not a small thing to come out through the rain and yet also praise you for the rain. Father, it is uh, these moments every single Sunday when we gather publicly, Lord, where, Lord, there are, there are first-timers here, Father, where there are those that are here uh, expectant, Lord. There, there are those exasperated from the weak and uh, need you, truly come here needing you, Father. There are those that come here not knowing that they need you, but, Father, coming here out of routine, Father. There are those, Father, that used to sing those worship songs with, with, with a sense of jubilee and shouting and, and, and looking to you with such, such great praise, but now wondering, Father, are you still the God of miracles? Father, we all come here, and you are big enough to speak to each one of us individually. And so, Father, I pray that you would. Holy Spirit, you know how we plan out these services and how we, how we prepare months in advance for this very moment. And Father... I pray that you brought the people that need to be here today. Lord, I also pray for the other churches in Tom's River meeting today. Father, we are not the only game in town, and we don't want to be the only game in town. Father, I pray for the community church down the street, the Presbyterian church, uh, the Assembly of God church, Trinity, Father, Redeemer, Lord, churches that are preaching your gospel me message and reaching people that, that you've not called us to reach, Lord, would you build your kingdom through the local church? Um, would your will be done and would more people come to know you as Lord and Savior as quickly as possible in Tom's River, New Jersey? We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, so we're starting, as Joe said, a new series uh, called All the Feels, uh, uh, looking at uh, feelings. Uh, and if you're somebody that likes to talk about feelings, well, then you're in the right place. 
Uh, if you're like me and uh, feelings are annoying, uh, you're going to find this series really annoying. Uh, and so, uh, I'm kidding, I think. I don't know. Uh, I'm the one preaching. Okay, anyways. Uh, but uh, Christmas, the holidays, Thanksgiving, have a way of exasperating feelings, don't they? Like, if life is good, holidays feel good, and you feel really good. But if life is bad, the holidays have a way of exasperating and magnifying the bad. If life feels empty, that, health, that empty house feels a little bit more emptier, doesn't it? Holidays have a way of, of exasperating the emotions and the feelings as we walk through the holiday season with emotions and feelings because God has made us with emotions and feelings. And so we're going to look at uh, through the gospel mess, uh, the gospels this week or this this series, and look at different emotions uh, mentioned uh, throughout the gospels, and and look at like how they can apply to our everyday life, and how they can apply, especially in the Christmas season, uh, and how we can live with emotions when emotions are exasperated in Christmas. And so on the way back from Thanksgiving. My wife and I had a moment that felt exasperated because it, it was Thanksgiving and we were traveling back and it's, and it's a Saturday uh, after Thanksgiving and we're, we're on the PA Turnpike coming from West Virginia. Uh, we're running low on gas and our tum-tums are a little hungry so we, we stop in a, in a rest area and we, we fill our gas tank up with gas and so we poured $50 into a stupid car uh, and then we went to turn it on to leave and go the three hours to New Jersey and it was... There wasn't even noise. It just didn't start. So I called the insurance company and said, hey, we need a tow. We have a minivan full of stuff. I have three kids, a wife, and two dogs in the car uh, stuck at a rest area. And they said, well, fill it out on the app, and we'll get a tow truck to you in two hours. Uh, and so two hours later, if you're a dad in the room, you know how like, eh, okay, uh, you're trying to smile, but you ain't smiling. And, uh, and then the tow truck comes. That's uh, our van on the tow truck. Ava had to get an Uber uh, to the airport with the three kids uh, to rent a car. It was a one-way rental. That's all we could get. So, you know, we had to do on Sunday, drive back to Harrisburg to drop the car off. It was a nightmare. And then we had dogs. And this Ava zooms in, and if you can see it, that's our dog, front seat, staring at us from the tow truck like, what is going on? Everything is falling apart. It was a nightmare. For the next 24 hours, Ava would randomly be laughing while looking at her phone, and I knew that she was looking at this very picture and laughing at herself. It was all we could do in the midst of a stressful situation. Now at first, we thought the battery had died. And so we're at the pump. I walk into the 7-Eleven and I'm like, hey, can you guys give us a jump? And they're like, no, sorry, we can't do that. I was like, okay, thanks, y'all. Uh, it's Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, and so I went out to a pump and there was two gentlemen. The pump is right here, one on either side, filling their cars. And I kind of stand in the middle looking at both of them and saying, hey, could one of you give me a jump? One of them looked down and was like, hmm, I want, hmm. And the other guy was like, you got cables? I was like, yeah, I got cables. He's like, well, let's get you jumped. I was like, that's a weird way of saying it, but okay, let's do it. Uh, and so he came over and tried his best and, and nothing worked. Uh, but that's how it happened. And so when you think about that situation, uh, going to a pump and two guys with a car and a battery presumably in their car, they both could jump me. One looked down and one said, let's get you jumped. Who showed compassion that day? 
Who was the one that uh, left and said, I, you know, I, here's, I actually gave their number to Ava and said, hey, I'm 40 minutes away. If you guys need any help, let me know. Somebody had compassion that day. We're looking at this, this series, and here's, here's the thing that I feel like is a struggle in our society right now. Yes, we're putting a focus on self-care and mental health, and that is a very good thing. I see a counselor every single month for my own mental health. But sometimes that can go to an extreme, right? Sometimes like, we, can want to, we, can, we can think ourselves to be compassionate, but yet never take any action towards actually being compassionate. We can think ourselves in that regards more compassionate than we are. We can, we can say, hey, I want to act, but a desire without action is, is delusion. And so I know that I'm going to ruffle some feathers today. Uh, and so I asked a counselor, uh, Ashley, uh, among us. She's a social worker who looks at self-care from a Christian perspective. And she had this to say, self-care is essential for us to charge our batteries. But when, when that happens, we as Christians should be using our charged batteries to love others and show the love and compassion of Jesus. There's a fine line between healthy self-care and setting boundaries to take care of ourselves versus being selfish. I want us not to think ourselves compassionate, but actually to be compassionate. When we talk about self-care and compassion, loving other people, I'm not talking about an either-or. What we're going to look at today, what we have been looking at as we read the, the Gospel of Matthew, is that this is not an either-or. This is a both-and. And so when you're feeling away this Christmas season, and it's like, hey, I need some me time, well, there's also plenty of needs within us, uh, around us, that we can meet, and so how can we create the both-and? And so let's, uh, let's look back at what Jesus said in those first two verses of what we, what we looked at. He said, uh, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew uh, from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when, uh, when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot uh, from the towns. Uh, and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus hears of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the co-laborer for him. He's a forerunner. He's also a cousin. He's a relative. And now he's dead. And not only dead, like he's, a, he's somebody that is like 95 years old and it's just like, it's sad, but you kind of knew it was coming type of a thing. Like he's, he's younger, he's, he's in jail because he made the ruler of the day mad and he, this ruler made a promise at a party and by the end of the night, John the Baptist's head is on a platter given to some girl. He died in a heinous way. So Jesus hears of somebody that he loves deeply has died in a heinous way. And so what does Jesus do? He feels all of these emotions, real emotions, because Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he goes to remove himself to deal with his emotions in a healthy way. Have you been there where you know it's okay to have emotions? It's a proper time, a proper situation. And you remove yourself to deal with that. But then life has happened. And you know you need to deal with some emotions. You know you need to do some wrestling. But, but life is before you and life kind of presents itself where you're like, now I feel trapped. Jesus gets off the boat and he sees a gaggle of people. The estimates are with men, women, and children, somewhere between 15,000 and 20,000 people are present. And Jesus sees all this and does he have frustrations? No, he, he sees and feels something different when he sees all these people while he's dealing with his own emotions. He feels the emotion of compassion. Here's what compassion means when you put it into the, the Google. Uh, sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. 
You know why I give definitions like this all the time? Pretty much every single sermon you guys will see a, a definition from the Google. It's because we live in a world where literally can mean figuratively. <laughs> and so I want to make sure that we understand what this means and that we're all on the same page with some of these words. Jesus is showing compassion because what is before him are people that he has pity for, people that are misfortune. He's going to roll up his sleeves and get to work. He's going to roll up his sleeves and start healing them. He's going to roll up his sleeves and, and, and do something about it. Why? Because when Jesus got off the boat, he saw people. That's what compassion does. Compassion sees people. You and I, when we are all in our emotions, sometimes we stop seeing people. All we can see is ourselves and all we can see is our problems. And compassion takes our focus off of ourselves and put it on, on to other people and their misfortune. And so Jesus rolls up his sleeves and starts to heal them. He doesn't say, hey, listen, you know what? Give me 24 hours. Compassion, in Jesus' compassion, he doesn't say, well, let me tell you what I'm going through. In Jesus' compassion, he, he doesn't tell them, well, this is how you could avoid the situation in the future. In Jesus' compassion... He does something about it. Jesus does not look at the crowd and say, I just need a moment for my mental health, my self-care, and I just need a little me time. Jesus does something with the, the situation before him. Uh, about a year and a half ago, maybe two years, my, uh, my grandfather had passed away. He was older, uh, but he wasn't sick, and so we didn't really uh, expect it. Uh, it was an unexpected uh, death. And uh, my dad is a, a very successful uh, tennis coach. This is a picture of, of him. Uh, he has won multiple coaches of the year. He, uh, he's a Division II uh, tennis coach and at Southern New Hampshire University. And uh, he has multiple, multiple championships. And uh, I played college tennis, which he laughs about because I'm terrible. Uh, but um, it, it's in the blood. Uh, and so my, it's a tennis family. And uh, I, I, I've gotten into pickleball. I'm not too good at it, as some of you know, Luke. Uh, and so, uh, but anyways, I digress. Uh, so we're a big tennis family. My, my, my grandfather passes away during tennis season. He passes away during tennis season, and it's during playoff season. And if you know anything about the coaching world, it was like the type of time, the time period where it's like, you don't get away. And my dad didn't have all the assistant coaches. He had a hard time getting away. But what I saw with my dad in this moment that anything he does when life is stressful, anything he does while he's in season and in playoff season, anything he does there is an act of compassion. And my dad was able to rearrange some travel and some things of that nature so that he could be present for the funeral. And when my mom would get walked up to give a eulogy, what she said that day of my grandfather, well, if I let my mind go there, I would go to tears. Uh, but I saw my dad standing right next to her. And he was there in case my mom couldn't get through it. He was going to read, uh, read the speech. And so I, was, I walked away from that funeral, and I was so moved by my mom's words, but I was also so moved by my dad's example of having life being so busy, so chaotic, and yet choosing to walk by my mom's side. And so to me, it was an example of what a man should do and how he should love his wife through the compassion uh, of a situation. And if Ava has life ever hitting the fan for her, I hope that I can follow my dad's example and show compassion even while I'm in the midst of church or things of that nature. Self-care to the neglect of others is misguided. Self-care, when, when, when we are going to say, uh, look to heaven or look to another and, and say, hey, here's all the reasonable ways in which I can't help you, that's the very thing that Jesus finds unreasonable. 
that you and I need to not uh, neglect compassion because when we forgo compassion, we're forgoing human beings. I hope that this is a place the church can be a respite for people that are coming in here and needing a little recharge. Here's what I feel like is a struggle in the American church in 2023 going into 2024. Some of us come here and it's like, man, I am so spiritually exhausted from the prayer meetings and the Bible studies and the right now medias and all of these things. And you're coming in here and it's not like you're not necessarily spiritually drained. You're just spiritually overloaded. I think the church should be a respite for people that are on the front lines. I've been all week grinding it out with a boss who hates Jesus, and I've been trying to show her her or him love all week, even though it's costing me things at, at the job. I, I, showed, I gave coffee to somebody at the coffee shop, and they turned around and said some mad words to me because I showed them kindness. Uh, I came in, all, I'm, I've been all week long trying to deal with a spouse that doesn't love Jesus and what they're saying to me. I've come in all week long and my kids think I'm crazy, but I'm trying to show them the gospel. The church should be a place for people to recharge that have been on the front lines of the gospel and are coming in here worn out and tired, needing another little oomph to get back out there. And I think Jesus's example here is that while we are here to recharge, we don't neglect the homeless that are among us. While we're here to recharge, we don't neglect the person that might be sitting next to you hoping that somebody just might pray with them before we leave. That we still come here to recharge, we see the people around us. And so what happens as Jesus is healing the sick? Here's how, here's how the, the story goes on in, in the Gospel of Matthew. He says this, Now when it was evening, uh, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now, is now over. Send the crowds to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And he said to them, we only have, they said to him, we only have five loaves and here and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and, he, and the two fish. He looked up to heaven. That's where Jesus has his focus. <laughs> said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and, and they, were, they ate and they were satisfied. And they took up the 12 basketfuls and the broken pieces left over. And those who were there were about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. See, the disciples see a situation. They come to Jesus, and everything that they're thinking is all practical. It has practical uh, reasoning. They're not, they're not crazy to come to Jesus and be like, Jesus, uh, we've done an inventory. We have five loaves and two fish. The scope of the need is that we have nothing to give them. So Jesus, what are you going to do? Hey, Jesus, hey, by the way, if we want to feed these people, that would be about 200 denarii. That's about eight months wages. Jesus, have you checked the, the, the treasury box? We don't have enough money to feed all these people. Hey, Jesus, by the way, if we had enough money, we don't have enough time to go into the villages and get all the food and come back here. There's no hours left in the day to do this. Jesus, send them away so that they can do something about it. But Jesus sees it differently because he is being led by compassion. Well, they only see the impossible, but they forget that they're serving the God of the impossible. Jesus invites them to be part of the solution. You give them something to eat. You do something about it. He wants them to understand the impossibility of the, the impossible nature of the situation so they would turn to him. Think about this from Jesus' perspective of the disciples. What has Jesus been doing all day long? 
healing, 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 healing. He wasn't healing fake injuries. He was healing people that have likely been sick for decades with visible illnesses, leprosy, and and, and what are the other situations? Lameness in their feet, uh, lameness in their hands, uh, eyesight, things that were incurable in the day. Jesus is healing them, and he was doing the impossible. They saw that happen before their very eyes. They saw the proverbial man coming in in a wheelchair that everybody knows has been lame for decades and then walking away. They saw all of that, but they got used to it. That became normal for them to see God doing the impossible here, and they failed to make the jump that God could do the impossible here. Have you been there? Has God done the impossible in your life, and that has all of a sudden become normal and expected? And we forget to think that, man, as Joshua prayed one, one afternoon, God, would the sun please stop moving? And God met him in that prayer, that they serve the God of the impossible. And then what, what Jesus does is he, he invites them to be part of the, the solution. See, my Jesus, he, he could have called a bread to fall down from heaven. He's done that before. He could have said like, hey, you know what? Give me, give me two seconds. I'll say a quick prayer and bada bing, bada boom. They all have a bread in their laps. Everything is good. He could have done that. That's all within his ability as the God of the impossible. But what he chooses to do is to look to heaven and not give in to their reasonable nature, not give in to their, I'm butting my head against the wall. I'm going to serve the God who cannot do. He says, no, I, I am the God who is the I am who can do. And I'm going to make it rain, bread and fish. And if there are 20,000 people there, then the disciples just fed about, about 1,667 people each. That's a lot of work. And they're the ones that gave the inventory to Jesus and said, we have given you everything, and you're just multiplying this over and over and over again, where each disciple fed somewhere around 1,500 to 1,700 people with resources that they know they did not have. And there was leftovers. They were more than satisfied. The disciples were wowed by taking their little and putting it into the hands of the Savior who had compassion on the people before them. I was texting with, um, with Caleb and Skye this week uh, because we had, uh, Ava and I had dinner with them a week or two ago, and they told me the story of how they met, and there was an act of compassion in there. Uh, they were both going uh, to uh, different youth groups at the time. They were leaders in different youth groups. And, uh, and Caleb was trying to raise money uh, to get to snow camp, to be a leader at snow camp. And uh, he was $20 short and was not going to go to snow camp and uh, to be a leader there. And uh, the church secretary, Luann, uh, heard of the need and donated $20 on Caleb's behalf so he could go to snow camp. And while he was at snow camp, uh, he met this girl named Skye, and, uh, and they were joking in the text message, like, yeah, he forgot my name at first uh, and kept calling me Cloud. And I was like, well, I can see Sky Cloud. Okay, it makes a little sense, but Caleb is tripping when he was calling his, uh, his future wife Cloud. Uh, but I digress. And so they sent me a picture. This was like a picture of when they first met. Um, I was like, that is just gold. Uh, and so... Uh, that is who's leading our youth. We're trusting him. Uh, and so uh, I digress. Uh, but they met there, and then that, that chance meeting uh, became his wife. 
And now they're both leading our, our, our youth ministry and helping out there. Do you think that that lady, Luann, when she gave that $20, ever thought that Caleb might be going to meet his wife? Now do you think that when she sees Caleb in Sky, that that $20 was magnified? That that $20 became more than a $20 gift to Caleb in Sky because she showed compassion? We have a value here called give of yourself. It's a question to ask yourself, does my giving of my time, my treasures, my talents show love for God and for people? You're looking at your resources. You're looking at the resources in your hands and you're saying, well, I can't. I can't do it. I'm hitting a wall. Well, those are opportunities for God to do the impossible, isn't it? Like, Jason, come on. Like, if I, if I serve for two hours, what difference is it going to make? Well, in the hands of Jesus, all the difference in the world. Jason, come on. There are plenty of rich people. If I give a, a $20 gift to the church, what, what difference would that make? Well, in the hands of my God, all the difference in the world. Jason, if, if, if there's a person at work that their car broke down, I can't buy them a new car, what difference would a cup of coffee make if I, if I blessed them with a cup of coffee? Well, in the hands of Jesus, it makes all the difference in the world. We need to stop looking at God from a horizontal perspective and start placing our eyes on, on above and on Jesus and stop saying we can't but we serve the God of the impossible. Now, as I say that, I am not communicating, hey, pray to God, he's the God of the impossible. You don't know if your car's gonna start when it came in and it was kind of cranking and you had a, you came in, there's a flat tire out there right now, but just pray to the God of the impossible and you're gonna walk out there and the car's gonna, the tire's gonna be inflated. Everything is good. Your car just became a Kia, became a Ferrari. You're good. Pray to the God of the impossible. No. Pray to the God of the impossible with also the prayer of a humble servant that says, thy will be done. Trusting that God can, and we don't presume he will, but we trust that if he wants to, he will, and that it is good all the time. What have we said today? We've said that godly, godly self-care knows when to show compassion. I think I forgot to say that on the front end. Whoopsie. Uh, but godly self-care knows when uh, to show compassion. Now, to the self-care police in the room. Like we said, this is a both and and not an either or thing. So here's the very next verse. Verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat this time was long, a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against it. And then if you want to continue reading, Jesus walks on water and Peter joins him for a split second. <laughs> so Jesus didn't neglect his own need to deal with his emotions. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to never self-care and always give myself to other people and get to the point where I have nothing else to give. Jesus gave in the moment of himself and then took time to deal with his own emotions. With the wisdom of the Spirit of God, we can find a both-and solution to the problems and the situations before us. As a church, we look every Christmas season, we look out into the community and say, man, we'd like to meet all the needs. We'd like to, we'd like to solve every need that our community has, but we can't. And so we're gonna, we're gonna pick one. 
Andy Stanley talks, says, uh, do for one what you wish you could do for all. And so we, we highlight one need in, in our community, and then we try to go all in with that need. We've, we've done uh, gift cards for food. Uh, we did that last year. We've given out free gas. We've given out diapers before, and this year we're like, hey, let's do diapers again because uh, inflation and, and parents, like, it's hard, and so let's do that. And so we've been collecting diapers. That's how we do it organizationally. Why? Because compassionate people go out and show passion for their community and passion for Jesus by loving other people. Compassionate people, like the disciples, take their very little, five loaves and two fish, and say, I'm going to take my little and put it into the hands of Jesus and trust that he's the God that magnifies my little. Because you might walk in here and be the richest person in Tom's River, but you ain't got nothing compared to my Jesus. <laughs> and so we're all going to take our little and put it into the hands of Jesus, time, treasures, talents, and trust that he will magnify our little and make much of it. So this Christmas, this Thanksgiving, and we collected diapers, and it's not as much as we've gotten in the past. In regards to what we've gotten in the past, in regards to the need in our community, it is very, very, very little. And so today we were supposed to be up at the Coles Plaza and we were supposed to have a bunch of cars waiting to give out diapers, but we really didn't have enough to warrant the cops donating their time to help us give out all of the needs. And so we pivoted and we said, we're going to take our little and we're going to trust it into the hands of God. And we're going to ask him to magnify it. And we're going to bless people in our community like Open Door, uh, Dyfus, uh, and Casa. We've talked to all of them and we're going to give them diapers. They're already on the front lines. So why not give them diapers and ask that they bless their people with the diapers that you all have provided to this church. But we want to ask God to magnify. And so we're going to, at the end of this experience, invite you to go over into our new space over by the bathrooms to go into the room. There's cards there. And we're just going to ask you to write a prayer over a box of diapers and write that prayer down in a card. And we're going to tape them to every single box so that when they're given through open door, when they're given through Casa, when they're given through diapers, somebody's going to open up a card handwritten by you and I and hopefully feel and see hope in the name of Jesus as they collect and get this box of diapers. And in so doing, we are praying that God would magnify our efforts. So that's my challenge to you is simply this, that you would rest your gift in the magnifier's hand. That might mean that at the end, you're going and you're helping us write a prayer, or that might mean that you know somebody at your job, their car just broke down. That you know somebody at your job, they're going through a divorce and they're down and out that you might not be able to solve the complete need that is before you in somebody else, but you're going to pray and you're going to trust that God would magnify your little and make much of it. Do for one what you wish you could do for all.